Hey guys, my name's Chris and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, couldn't be more excited to be with you guys tonight to talk about Jesus. And um, I want to ask one of maybe the most basic questions to kick off our time um, that needs to be asked is, why does Willie have on suspenders tonight? Can we just ask that question, our worship pastor? Um, I do want to ask, what are we here celebrating? I mean, is tonight just a little a time where we get a little bit excited? We sing some Christmas songs and we light some special candles and we have some special cookies for you. What are we actually celebrating? What are we so excited about? Is it just holiday cheer or is it something more significant? And I want to throw that question out to us tonight because uh, in our culture, you guys know, uh, many of our coworkers, neighbors, and friends from really Thanksgiving to January, our culture kind of goes crazy with holiday zeal, does it not? Like I've already confessed to folks that, that, that come to our church regularly, like I have a love-hate relationship with the Hallmark Channel, okay? You, uh, my wife loves it and I hate it. That's the relationship. But the idea is at this time of year, you can't escape it. You turn on the TV and there's a holiday special on the Hallmark Channel that includes a single girl in a small town with some kind of sleigh ride and the the snow is falling and a man in plaid with a nice beer comes in to rescue the day. Does he not? And then you turn on the radio and what happens? They're singing songs about bells that jingle. What bells don't jingle? They all jingle, all right? And then what happens at this time of year? We eat foods that we never otherwise eat. Do you guys understand eggnog and ham is a horrible idea in in July, but for some reason we do it every time at this time of year. Why is it a big idea? Why is it a good idea? I don't understand. So at this time of year, we go outside and we notice our neighbors and everybody in our neighborhood is going ballistic and hanging up lights and putting up inflatable snowmans in their front yard. And it seems like every arena of our society is flooded with holiday spirit. And all of that is okay. And all of that is good. But City Light Church, we're not here celebrating Santa or gifts or trees or special cookies or cool mugs at your local Starbucks with a snowflake. We are here celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And I'm a little bit excited about that. I'm so thankful that one person is spirit-filled. It's four o'clock and y'all still haven't caught enough of the Holy Spirit. We're going to just, coffee is free all night, so you can just keep going back. But... Uh, I, I'm a little personally excited about Christmas uh, because at Christmas time, we talk about Jesus around here at City Light pretty much every single week. If you haven't caught on at City Light, uh, it's basically the same sermon every week. Jesus loves you and you should uh, pay attention to Jesus. But today is the day we specially dial in that Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who made us in his image, he stepped into his own creation to come and seek and save the lost. Tonight is the night that we celebrate that, that Christmas really is a love story. That God crossed from heaven to earth to communicate that his love, he loves us in a real and personal way. For God so loved the world that he what? He sent his only son. That whomever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christmas is a love story of all love stories. It's a story of a loving God sending his only begotten son to come so that we wouldn't have to experience the penalty or the power of sin anymore in our lives. What great news. It's Christmas time, friends. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and he was born and he, to a teenage mom, to an unwed woman, to a woman who wasn't educated, next to some farm animals. But this same Jesus Christ that we discover in the Christmas story is, not, is still the same Jesus Christ that has changed my story and has radically changed the world today. Is he not? Yeah. The world has been changed by the birth of Jesus Christ. It literally divides the way that we think about time before Christ and after Christ, A.D. Amazing to think about this. 
And um, I want to say the reason I, I, I care about this in a personal way is that we have to celebrate this idea of holiday cheer and this idea of why we worship Jesus Christ here at City Light. They're two different things. Because for the 18, first 18 years of my life, I, I went to a church much like this. Mom dragged me. Church attendance during the rest of the year was a little suspect, but at Christmas, we were going to be at church, okay? And uh, we'd get dressed up, and we would sing songs, and then we would go home. And we would kind of do our routine. We'd eat our cookies. We'd open up our gifts, and we'd have a nice evening. We'd participate in our family traditions. And yet for 18 years, Christmas was but just a story that we told once a year to kids. It was just a a feel-good fairy tale. It had no meaning in my personal life. I was blind to the true meaning of Christmas. But at one point, God broke into my story, and Christmas didn't just become a fairy tale we tell our kids. It became a celebration that centered around a Savior that I desperately needed. Have you had that moment where Christmas stopped just being the thing that you do towards the end of the year, and you wear your nicest sweater vest, and you kind of go, and you do this thing with your family, but instead it became a time where you sang out and you rejoice that a Savior has been born. And he's not just a Savior, but he's your Savior. Have you had that moment? I hope that you're understanding that Christmas is personal to the people of God tonight. It's personal to me. And so um, I want to also confess to you that Christmas, this is not my first Christmas. Um, when I was 18 years old, I remember being in the church for the first time as a Christian and singing out songs in a real and personal way. But um, that was like 15 years ago, and I had hair back then. It was an amazing time, glorious time in my life. But... But 15 years later, the Christmas story is no longer a new story to me. It's a familiar story to me. And familiarity can kind of dull our senses to the wonder and the majesty that is all wrapped up in the Christmas story. And so this week, I was just asking, God, would you lay something fresh on my heart for the people at City Light Church this year? Would you, Lord, just open up my eyes to something that would speak to me in a real way? And I feel like God has given me a couple fresh observations about the Christmas story, and that's going to be my preaching outline tonight. I've got two main ideas that I just want to share with you that uh, God, I feel like, revealed to me as I, was, as I was preparing for this message this week. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Jerry was so kind to read it to us. And, uh, and so if you've got your Bibles, would you open them up there? Also want to let you know we'll have all the verses on the screen. So if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. You'll be able to track with us. And we're going to be doing a little bit of uh, kind of flipping around in the Old Testament as well. We'll have the verses there. So don't get insecure. You can stay with us and track on the story. The first thing I want to show you guys is that Christmas is... A promise kept. Christmas is a promise kept. And this year, as I was studying, you look at all the different characters in the Christmas story. There are shepherds in a field. There are uh, Mary and Joseph. And there are kings and emperors and rulers and wise men and all of these different characters in the Christmas story. And there's much to learn about from each of them about how they responded to Jesus and what their role that they played in the Christmas story was. But I want to zoom out and show this Christmas that Christmas really is God making good on his promises. See, there's really two threads that kind of weave throughout the Bible. It's this idea that God makes promises and then he keeps promises. Much of your Old Testament is the, the, the promises of God. And then much of the New Testament is God fulfilling those promises. And at the very center of God's promises, we find Luke chapter 2. The very center of God's promises, we see this promised Savior named Jesus Christ. At the very center of his promises is this one who would come and defeat our enemies once and for all. Satan, sin, and death. At the very center of God's promises is this one Savior that would come to bring peace between God and man. At the very center of God's promises is this Messiah that we meet in Luke chapter 2. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. 
And I think I want to highlight how this isn't just a new story in Luke chapter 2, but I want to zoom out and show you how it traces throughout the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. Because I think the temptation for us is when we read our Bibles and we see Luke chapter 2 and we jump into the Christmas story, we can think maybe this is the beginning of the story because it's the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. And this is not the beginning of the story. Instead, the Christmas story is but the climax or... um, the culmination of a story that God had been writing for thousands of years. And um, so I want to show you guys how it all begins to fit together. And I want to let you guys know just my purpose in doing this. Right from the get-go, I want to let you guys know that I'm not just trying to help you guys understand how God made promises thousands of years ago, and then he kept them in the personal work of Jesus Christ, just so that you can show off at your next Bible study and start to quote some minor prophets. But instead, I want you guys to see not just a small God in a manger, but a big, powerful, sovereign, all-controlling, unstoppable God who always keeps his promise to his people. Because he has, he's made a promise to work for our good and his glory, and God has been committed to those things for thousands of years. And I want to let you guys know this matters, because when we get a really small God in our lives, everything else seems to look really big. Your problems, your drama, your circumstances, when they outweigh and they become bigger than the thing that you actually worship, worship, there becomes massive anxiety in our lives. So what I want to just plead with you for is pay attention to the Christmas story because at the Christmas story, we get a picture of a God who's greater than some of the stuff that's in our lives. And I think because of that, we're going to have peace on the back end of this thing. So let me just walk you guys through a couple of the characters that we walk, uh, that we meet throughout the, uh, the story in Christmas. Here it is, Luke chapter two, verse one. Let's read the first one. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And so, um, as Jerry said, register just simply means um, that he, uh, Caesar Augustus was calling for a national census. And his whole idea is, if you understand who Caesar is, Caesar was the, kind of the emperor of all of Rome. So this is a dude who had some influence. And he called for a census to do one thing. He wanted to know, how many people do I have influence over? Because people meant tax revenue, and people meant soldiers in an army. So this is the guy that's uh, checking his bank account, and this is the guy that's flexing in the mirror, just saying, how strong am I? How can I flex on the other nations? How much bigger am I than the rest of the world? And Um, Although Caesar is a guy that maybe has um, some ungodly motives in this idea of being registered or calling for a census, he's not just a guy that's counting his chips at the table. Uh, What we're going to see is God uses Caesar to even accomplish some of his promises. And um, let me just pause and zoom out again just a little bit because this idea of promise tracks through all of the Bible. If you guys know that at the very beginning when God created us, uh, sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. They looked at their creator God who had placed them in the garden and placed them in right relationship with one another and placed them in right relationship with their creator. And instead they said, God, no thanks. We want to do things our own way. And because sin entered into the world, relationship with God had been fractured. And I want to let you guys know in that very moment, if there was ever a time in human history just to say, creation, I'm done with you, that would have been the moment. And yet in that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise to his people that he would send a savior, one that would come and make it right. And yet as history goes by, there's not much known about this promised savior. Over time, God begins to reveal some details about what he he will do and how he will come. And we learn that this savior is going to be born in a specific place, mainly Bethlehem. And we learn that this Savior is going to come through a specific line. And we learn that this Savior is going to be uh, birthed in a specific way that displays his, uh, the God's power in a real way, mainly through a virgin birth. 
And see, some 700 years before we meet Jesus laying in that manger in Luke chapter 2, God spoke to a man named Micah, a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And he says, this is where you're going to find your Savior. This is where you'll find him. You don't have to search the whole world. This is where you'll find him. Look with me at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We'll have it on the screen. It says this, but you, Bethlehem and Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be ruler over Israel. God said, the savior that you're waiting for, he's coming and he'll come from this little town in the Middle East in Bethlehem. Now here's the problem. Mary and Joseph are from where? Nazareth, some 90 miles away from Bethlehem. And they uh, had probably made arrangements to have their child in their hometown, but they got news that Caesar called this mandatory census that would make them move from Nazareth where they were resting and waiting for this delivery date to Bethlehem. Now, um, put yourself in this story. Can you only imagine what an inconvenience this would be to Mary and Joseph? Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is a 90-some mile walk, or as the kids say, on a, on a, what, a donkey and a camel? There's like four camels. I don't even know, but extra biblical details. The children had insights too. But, but uh, that would be rather unwelcome. Mary at this point is very pregnant with child, and she's past the cute little like, I've got a baby bump, take my photo, and she's into the like, I'm straight up uncomfortable side, okay? Have you ever, women, maybe you guys have been there, uh, you get to this phase where uh, my wife has been pregnant three times, and there, there's this stage where it's like, I don't sleep, I'm tired, my feet hurt, this just needs to end, okay? I think Mary is in that season, and so this idea of a, a census that would require her to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem had to feel rather unwanted. And then I think about not just feeling sorry for Mary, but can you imagine Joseph's life walking 90 miles with a pregnant woman who's upset? Oh, Lord, have mercy on that man. May your grace be sufficient. And we go on a road trip to Lincoln and we might get into something, okay? So, um, so this is quite the moment, but God is setting the stage. You know, the whole watching world is just watching a king trying to count his chips and see how many people he has influence over. But this is the thing that God is using to fulfill a promise, to move his people in a place, to set the stage for the Savior's birth. And um, I want to show you guys that this isn't just... um, This isn't just the Bible including random details about Nazareth and Bethlehem. We read over these things, but there's a story that has been written. And what is happening is God is working through an ungodly king to usher in his ultimate king to rule and reign the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Let me show you guys Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 4 and 5. Those are the next characters we meet. It says, And Joseph went also, or also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. We don't know much about Joseph here, but we get his Ancestry.com resume. Um, It says he's from the household or the lineage of David. And if you've read your Bible in your Old Testament, maybe this is important language to know. This isn't this idea of the city of David, and that he was from the lineage of David. This isn't just random information and details that the Bible includes at the Christmas story to just fill time and space. Instead, these are signposts pointing us back to a story God had been writing for hundreds and hundreds of years. See, if you guys remember in the Old Testament, there was a king named David, and David, in many ways, I can relate to his story. He blew it in some massive ways, but 
The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. And um, one of the promises that God makes to King David is that the Savior um, would come through his lineage, through his family line. He says, there's going to be a king that will sit on the throne and rule and reign without end that comes from your family. Now, how can that be? Kings come and go. They live and they die and they pass off their throne to the next one that would rule in that place. Well, he's pointing to this Messiah, this Savior, this ultimate king that would usher in his kingdom without any end. And, and so Joseph's lineage here isn't wasted. It's a fulfillment of a promise God made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then we meet Mary. And the thing that we learned about Mary is that she's with child and that she's betrothed, which means that she's engaged to Joseph. She's a virgin and yet she's pregnant. Now that is an interesting set of circumstances for a teenage girl in her context. And she got there. If you remember earlier in Luke, she was visited by an angel and the angel of the Lord said, hey, you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Your womb will carry the savior of the world, the one who will come and bring peace between God and man. And remember what her first response was. Her first response was, how? I'm a virgin. It's not even possible. And yet she says, all, the angel of the Lord said, all things are possible with God. Nothing is possible apart from God. And what we learn about this is this, this idea of her being a virgin and yet giving birth, again, isn't a random detail, but it points us back to Isaiah 7, verse 14. Let me read it to you. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel which means Jesus' title is God with us, and that's exactly who he is. See, um, City Light, the reason I want to walk you through these different promises that are happening in the Old Testament and to show you the fulfillment in the New Testament is I want you to know that you don't just worship a small, cute, adorable, personal God, but that you worship a big, powerful, sovereign God a God that has been faithful to make promises to a, a broken people and keep his promises throughout thousands of years. And some of you guys might not understand why that's such a big deal, but the Christian life cannot be lived apart from believing the promises of God. See, the promises of God help us to understand how we navigate on this side of eternity when we cannot make sense of the circumstances in front of us. So often we see Jesus laying in the manger, but we miss the strong hand of God that was at work orchestrating all of the details of Christmas. At Christmas, we see a God that promised salvation, that executed salvation, that delivered on his promises. And so so God said this. He said, I will bring a savior to a particular place, to a particular, through a particular family, and his birth will come in a particular way. And God made good on every single one of those promises. Maybe think about it like this. Maybe this is helpful to think about it. Is I was recently at a wedding, and uh, at the wedding, after the wedding, they kind of go to the banquet hall, and we do the big reception thing, and uh, the DJ had everybody kind of participate in an activity, and one of the things that we did is he said, if you've been married a year, please stand up, and um, a lot of people stood up in the audience, and then he said, if you've been married five years, would you remain standing, and most of the room kind of sat down, and then he just started to kind of uh, trim down all those who had been married, and so 10, 15, 20, 30 years go by, and now all of a sudden, just a handful of people are standing, and he gets to 40. There's just a handful, and then 50, and then he goes 51, 52, 53, 54, and finally, there's just one couple that emerges. The whole room is sitting down. The whole room is silent, and there's this one couple embracing like it was their wedding day. 
glowing as they thought about the story that they've had, the journey that they've enjoyed together. And uh, the DJ didn't say a word, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the whole room erupted uh, with uh, clapping and celebration. And uh, they were just celebrating this couple, especially as they saw that the man had lost all of his hair. And that is a sign of blessing from the Lord. And they rejoiced. But but I asked the question as I was kind of observing this moment, like, why? Like, why? Um, why did this whole room celebrate as we, we don't even know these people. They're strangers. We don't know their story or anything about them except that they've been married some 54 plus years. And I think it's this, because there's something powerful about a promise that's been kept. And I think anybody who's ever tried to keep a promise that's significant, you understand it takes massive sacrifice. It takes intentionality. It takes aim. And I just want to just say that for all of us who are promise keepers, I just want to say, it's hard for me to keep my promises. Can I just confess that? Man, I, I tell my wife most days I'll be home a certain time and I just lie, okay? Because I can't even get home. At the time I told her I'd get home. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but God stands alone and all of the universe is the one who always delivers on his promises. Is that, is that not good news? At Christmas time, I want to just ask you guys right now, um, Are you guys believing in the promises of God? Like, do you think the whole Christmas story is just a a kind of a group of coincidences that might have just happened and might have just taken place? Or do you see the powerful, sovereign God behind it all? And do you trust his promises? I think about Mary and how she had to hold on to the promises of God. What would have people said about her? What would have been the rumors? What would have been the narrative? What kind of shame would she have had to walk through? What would people be thinking about her as she's this teenage girl with a story of God visiting her, an angel visiting her? a savior that was gonna be born through her. And yet the only thing that carried her through those seasons was the promise of God. I think about Joseph who would have been labeled an absolute fool. How many of you guys have looked like a fool in front of a college professor because you believed in Jesus Christ? How many of you have been on the outside looking in of a social class or a group of friends because you look like a fool because you actually believe that God is real? Joseph was in that place and yet he hung on to the promises of God. And then I think about this year, I don't know what you're going through or where you're at, but I just want to encourage you. Some of you guys, maybe you're at the time in Christmas where I just recognize that some of you guys in time of Christmas, you realize that like not all your drama and all your problems just stop during Christmas time. You've got financial pressures. You've got marriage issues. You've got kids that are rebellious. You've got people that are no longer in the room with you. And they were in the room with you a few years ago celebrating Christmas and you're mourning that reality. And I can't promise you that at this time next year, everything that you want in your life is gonna work out just the way you want. Um, That's not the gospel. But instead, what I can promise you is that God will be true to his promises to you. That he has promised to never leave you nor forsake you and he will be good to that promise. That he has promised to be your wonderful counselor on this side of eternity and he will be the wonderful counselor when you need a one to listen to you. He's promised to be your prince of peace and he will be just that your helper in a time of trouble, the one that sustains you in trials, the one who doesn't waste the pain in your life as you walk through hard things, but he has a purpose for it. And I can promise that on that last day when you breathe your last breath, God will be true to his promise that he will give you resurrection life, amen? That's amazing. That's good news of Christmas, that we see a God that has kept his promises all throughout scripture. And um, I said I have two ideas. The first one is that God keeps his promises. But the second thing I wanna show you that is Christmas is an announcement Made. It's an announcement made. And um, 
There's been some numerous birth announcements in recent history and headlines, if you guys have followed. Um, one that I'm particularly interested in and celebrate is that uh, my good friends, people that I talk to on a regular basis, Jay-Z and Beyonce just had twins. And um, we're friends on social media. And um, mostly I just follow him. He didn't follow me back, but he will later um, someday. It's a thing. I'm praying. Okay. Um, but you know, when he had, uh, when they recently had a child, the tabloids went crazy. The press was fighting over, uh, rights to get an exclusive interview. Everybody wanted to get close to the child of this celebrity, but I want to let you guys know there's never been a birth announcement quite like Jesus Christ. On one hand, if you look at this birth announcement in Luke chapter two, what we're going to see is there's not a whole lot of fanfare. There's no press, there's no photographers, there's no exclusives. There's some barn animals next to the son of God, the savior of the world, a teenage mom and a stepdad. That's what's going on. It doesn't look like big and important royalty here. And yet on the back end, heaven rejoices over a savior's birth. And I wanna show you how this pans out. So what happens in Luke chapter two is the spotlight moves from Bethlehem where we see the birth of Jesus to a rural field outside of the city where we meet three shepherds that are watching sheep. And what happens as these three unnamed shepherds are watching the sheep is something unexpected. An angel of the Lord appears to them and says, the savior that the world has been waiting on has finally been born. He is in Bethlehem. And uh, not just one angel shows up, but one angel gives way to many angels. And then all of a sudden it says in verse 13 that there's a multitude of angels who start praising God and they start singing this choir, this song that says glory to God in the highest. And I just wanna ask, and it's fun to talk about angels and it's fun to talk about shepherds and sheep and what this might've felt like. But can you, again, put yourself in this story. Can you imagine being a shepherd, just watching sheep, trying to stay warm next to a campfire, thinking about when are we going to Denny's and what's for breakfast? And all of a sudden, the heavens light up with this multitude of angels where there's thousands and thousands of angelic beings singing and rejoicing that the savior of the world has finally broken in and has come to save the day. That's amazing, is it not? And I think about, um, I wanna go back just real briefly into uh, chapter two, verse 10 and 11 and show you what actually we see at the birth announcement. The angel says something to the shepherds, and I think there's something that we can learn about Jesus and his mission from this. So let's look at it real quickly. It says this, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The announcement at Christmas is good news. The world-changing news for these shepherds and for me and you is that God has become a man. A savior has been sent. A rescuer has arrived. And yet, this news is not just good news, it's humbling news. Can I just, we like to talk about Christmas as if it's all good and it's great news and things are all good. Do you guys understand it's rather offensive at Christmas? Because at Christmas, one of the things that happens is that it's, we are diagnosed as people who are so broken and so sinful and so far from God that we were never gonna be good enough to move from earth to heaven on our own. So God had to come from heaven to earth just to rescue us. You know what that means? We're Midwestern people, are we not? And we like to say we're hardworking, we try hard and we, we try to raise our kids the right way and we try to care about our cities and communities and we are good citizens and we are the best fans in America. I don't even know what that means, but somehow that matters, okay? And, and what's interesting here is we play this game where we 
kind of try to justify our own morality. And this is what we call religion. Where we think if we just obey the right rules and if we just do the right things and if we just stay away from the wrong things, then God is gonna be pleased with us and we're gonna get into heaven because we're slightly better than somebody else. But does Christmas point to you as the hero of the story or did he have to provide a hero for us? Man, it's an indictment on all of us that we were never going to be good enough. The good news is not that God sent a book of rules and principles that if you just apply them, you're gonna really change your own life and become awesome. He didn't send a teacher that would just kind of encourage you and inspire you to be a better version of yourself. He sent a savior that would come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He would live the life that we could never live, the perfect life of obedience, a life in perfect relationship with the father. And he loved people like we were called to love people, but we just failed to do. And then he died the death on our behalf. He took on the punishment of God so we could be pardoned from our sins. That's the story of Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter two, we see baby Jesus laying in a manger, but we know as Willie said, he didn't stay there, did he? He got up and he grew up into a godly man and he moved forward in his ministry and it ultimately led him to a cross and to a tomb that he would conquer for us. It's an amazing story. And uh, for all of us here today, it reminds us that, man, Christmas is humbling because it was needed and it was necessary. And yet it also reminds us there is a massive hope for weary, weak, broken people at Christmas because a savior actually has come. Let me show you guys one last thing in this text. It says this in verse 10, or uh, verse 10. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And this text, um, this word all just continued to pop off the page for me this week. Um, I kept coming back to it and I tried to look it up in the Greek and I did some study, even though I'm from Wayne State College and public education, shout out Wayne State. Anyways, um, the Greek word for all simply means all, without exception. Um, it's not dramatic at all. But anyways, and the reason I get excited about the word all is because it means that you don't know not one person in your life is that is out of bounds of God's grace. You know what all means? Let's have this conversation right now. There's some of you guys in this room that think surely God's not interested in me because I did something in my past, because I'm doing something right now. And you know what the good news for Christmas for me is? Is that I would be put in that camp that always thought God would never be interested in a person like me. Wrong side of town, broken home, single parent family, dude that was living for himself for many years of my life, didn't just sin against God, but hurt some people. And I said, if God, if you are real in any way, then surely you're disappointed, maybe angry, don't want anything to do with a person like me. Anybody played that game? Good kids get in, bad kids don't get in. Remember, I just think that in society, it's kind of like elementary school. Like there's the kids that sit in the front of the bus. They're all excited to go to school because they did their homework. Kids in the back of the bus didn't do their homework, just plotting about how to beat those kids up. I mean, that's, it's kind of like society. And um, I just always thought, man, God surely's not interested in me. And then I started to realize that Jesus didn't just come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. That one of the most scandalous things about Jesus Christ is that he ran with some people that were the messiest of the bunch. He moved towards tax collectors and prostitutes and people that had some busted stories. And he showed them love and grace and forgiveness. And this word all means all. And that means people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people that don't look like you, people who have different stories. It means people in this very room that you've been rule keepers and religious and you've been the people trying to work your way to God. Guess what? A savior has done it for you. That's great news. 
And those who are in this room, and you've always been the dysfunctional one, the one that got put in uh, timeout, the one who had to go to the principal's office, the one that is still getting pulled over, I don't even know. I always see traffic rules as suggestions. It's an ongoing problem I have with the police, but I'm working it out. I got a couple lawyers. Anyways, um, you know what? God's grace is sufficient for even like us. Isn't that amazing? It means all. And uh, I hope that's good news, and I hope that's good news to you. I hope you see how Jesus Christ has come, and he's swung wide open the invitation to salvation in the personal work of Jesus Christ. This Christmas is great news. It's great news. A savior has come and he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's won the battle. He's defeated our enemies. He set us free of a slavery. He's earned a righteousness and he's forgiven our sins. It's all about Jesus Christ. What good news that we have. I wanna close by saying this. Whenever I get into the Christmas narrative, one of the things I noticed um, this year is the response to what Christ has done. It was consistent with all the different characters. Mary, as she gets news of what God was going to do in and through her, she responds by singing a song and it's recorded in scripture. And then the shepherds, as they saw Jesus and walked away from um, the delivery room with Jesus, they celebrated that a savior had come and heaven rejoiced and sung songs. And so if you're a Christian here today, I just wanna, I just wanna ask that the, the Christmas story wouldn't just inflame your head with information, but it would stir your heart with affection for God. As you understand, you've been invited. You're one of the all. You've experienced the grace that God has come to offer through Jesus Christ. And would we not just sing songs because that's what you do at Christmas Eve, but what would we be a people that sing to the Savior that we desperately needed? Amen? And uh, if you're not yet a Christian, I just wanna invite you. I think the opportunity and invitation on the table is would you respond? I don't know how you got here. Uh, I don't know if you saw it on social media or a neighbor, a friend invited you, or maybe somebody bribed you and said, they might, they might've just told you we got free iPads in the back, which we don't, they straight up lie. You can have a cookie and leave, but we don't have iPads. Okay, now, um, somebody was like, I didn't get my iPad. I was like, you must, that was the other church. I don't know what y'all were, somebody lied to you. I'm so sorry, um, but but you're here, so let's have the moment, right? Let's have, let's have the moment. Um, you're here. And I don't know if you've been running from God. I don't know if you thought you weren't good enough for God. I don't know if you thought you were too good for God. I don't know what your story is, but I wanna invite you to bow your knee to King Jesus and see that he's the savior that your heart will find rest in, the one that will take your sins, the one that will empower you for new life, the one that will make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Man, There's massive hope held out at Christmas for you. And I don't know if God's stirring in your heart tonight, but I just want to say if he is, would you not ignore that prompting of the Holy Spirit? And would you respond to the Lord today in faith? I did. It's changed my life. It's changed my story. I would invite you into that whole idea that Jesus has come for all. Let's pray right now. So God, I want to say thank you, Lord, for tonight. I want to most of all thank you for what you accomplished 2,000 years ago. That Father, you in heaven looked at us as sinful, broken people, and you didn't get frustrated with us, get impatient with us, get angry with us, but instead you loved us enough to send your very best. That you sent your son on a rescue mission for people in this very room. I thank you for the saints in this room, those who have believed in your name, that they love you and they delight in you. And tonight they're gonna sing to the savior that has saved them and rescued them. Oh God, you have been gracious to us as a church. You've been gracious to me as a son. You've been gracious in so many ways. And so we come back to you tonight and simply say thank you. Thank you for sending your son so that we can have eternal life and live in relationship with you. Oh God, we're grateful. And uh, for those who don't yet know Christ, but maybe want to right now, maybe this is their moment to respond. We pray. Would you pray if this is you with me right now? Jesus, I confess that I'm broken. I confess that I'm sinful. 
I'm confessed that I've tried to do life on my own. And yet I call out, place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. God, would you forgive me of my sins? And would you take leadership of my life? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.